Welcome to Disorderly Dogs, the podcast for dog guardians. If you find yourself in precarious predicaments with your dog, this podcast is for you. I'm a certified professional dog trainer and I take my 10 years of training experience and I share easy to implement dog training advice with an emphasis on kindness and compassion. Welcome. I'm so excited to share more. Reactive Redefined and the group coaching program will reopen for enrollment on Monday, August 1st. If you could use more immediate support for your reactive dog, be sure to join the free mini course over on our website, agoodfeelingdogtraining.com. You can also invest in the self-guided version of Reactive Redefined and gain access to our comprehensive course content to get the ball rolling before we can support you one-on-one. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Disorderly Dogs, the podcast. I have one of my lovely Reactive Redefined students with me tonight, and she's going to share all about her experience inside of Reactive Redefined. So without further ado, Atlee, will you please introduce your beautiful girl to the world? Yes. Um, My name is Atlee, and my pup's name is Juno. Um, She is we think around three years old, she's a pit bull mix. And for size, she's about 45 pounds. So uh, about medium size, super high energy, very goofy and fun and has quite the personality. Oh my God. And she has that athletic build like Waylon too. She's just a little yeah. powerhouse. <laughs> totally. That's a great way to describe her. Oh my God. Oh my God. Okay. So Ali, can you share with the listeners how Juno came into your life? Yes. So when the pandemic hit, I started fostering dogs, you know, looking for a purpose, looking for something to do. And so I started fostering for a rescue in Minnesota because that's where I was living at the time. And I was kind of in between fosters. So I was just helping out with like temporarily fostering dogs for people who would go out of town and things like that. And so we the rescue had a transport of dogs coming up from Texas um, and someone needed, you know, some help with a dog uh, that happened to be Juno. Her name at the time was Bahama. Um, (laughs) And so I picked her up from transport and the plan was just to watch her for four days while they, I think were at a funeral. Um, And so she was in my life for four days and I thought, you know, oh, she's just, you know, another foster. But then when I dropped her off at her, you know, permanent foster's home, it was the first time in my whole fostering career where it felt absolutely wrong. I was in shambles. And so then I had to move forward with figuring out how I was going to adopt this dog because I wasn't even allowed to have dogs in my apartment. So all the drama. But um, yeah, she was worth it at that time. And she was worth it now. So that's how we kind of got connected. Oh, my God. You were destined for each other. You were destined for each other. Oh my God. Okay. So tell us more about how some of those first like weeks and months were with Juno. Yes. Um, so for the four days that I had her before I even, you know, thought about keeping her, um, I did notice her reactivity. So Juno is reactive to, um, her main one are bikes, um, big nemesis in this world, um, but also scooters and skateboards. And then we got large vehicles like buses and garbage trucks. Um, and so it was winter at the time in Minnesota. Um, so less people around, but you know, everybody's still out and about in the cold because we have to. And so we went (laughs) on a walk um, around one of the major lakes there. um, Because at the time I was like, oh, she's very people and dog friendly. So going to, you know, like a social area should be fine. 
Um, and we get halfway around the lake, you know, we're 30 minutes in, we got 30 minutes left. And she saw her first bike and had a full on panic attack, lunge, bark, scream, cry, like running herself to the end of the leash. Um, and people, everybody just turned around and was like, what are you doing to this dog? And so <laughs> that's like the first, it's still to this day, the most stressful walk I've ever been on because we were, we either, we had to decide to either turn around or keep going. Cause both would have been the, you know, the same amount of time. We did not have any treats on us. Although at the time she wasn't taking treats around her trigger. So it wouldn't have mattered. So we're like hiding behind trees, like basically walking into the lake to like get distance from this thing. So I knew then that she had some bike reactivity. Um, but, uh, at the time I didn't think that that was reason enough for her not to be in my life. And I was also under the impression that I wanted to work on it. Like I didn't want her to be scared of anything in the world. And so I was like, you know what, we can work on it together. Um, and so thankfully I adopted her in the winter. So the first few months were tricky, but they weren't horrible. You know, we were, we were managing and then spring rolled around and uh, all the bikers came out of hibernation and shit hit the fan. And <laughs> that was the low, the lowest low we've ever hit. She was just so stressed every time we went outside, like she'd be fine. And then the first bike she saw, it was like game over, stressed for the rest of the walk, like eyes darting everywhere, really tense body, you know, panting. And so then I had to reach out to, you know, find somebody to help me because I was definitely in over my head so the first few months fine and then we hit spring and it was like I, I need help <laughs> okay and that is really challenging like physically on your end also right like yeah. when you're attached to a powerhouse who is mm-hmm. like literally going off the rails and cannot come back down to earth like yeah yeah like okay this needs work like yeah <laughs> and we were like I was going out of my way. Like we would, every morning I'd get up like three hours before work and like drive us into the woods so that she didn't have to be around her triggers. And like, I was just transforming my entire life to fit her. Um, And it was working for part of the way, but when you don't have a backyard, like you have to go on those neighborhood walks. So you're right. It was just very stressful. And uh, I I'm surprised I didn't dislocate a shoulder (laughs) Uh, to be honest. And also in the winter in Minnesota, there's ice all over the ground. So I'm just like trying not to, you know, fall on my face, but yeah, it was, it was challenging. I feel like being attached to any reactive dog, but especially one who is so athletic and determined. (laughs) Oh my God. Right. And I think that like, I think that that's, what's so beautiful yet challenging about like a bully breed like Juno. right is like she's sweet as pie and when you can get to her it's great but if you can't get to her there's a lot of resistance and you better be well equipped to hold on because 100 percent. yeah that became my motto just hold on for dear life we weren't at a point we weren't at a point yet where if we saw a trigger I could even get her attention so it was like hold on like you know, plant my feet, bend my knees and this too shall pass type of situation. Yeah. Right. Okay. So did you work with a trainer before you, you worked with a trainer before you joined React Redefined, right? Yes. I, yeah, this is a very kind of like unique path because I, when I got her, you know, she's in a front clip harness, like utilizing treats. Um, and when I officially adopted her, this is during COVID. So trainers, I'm sure 
this happened to you, like overworked, overbooked, like I can't see you for months type of situation. And so I got an appointment with um, like a positive reinforcement based trainer um, in the Twin Cities for a private consultation. He showed up um, and he told us um, that Juno was reactive because she didn't know how to walk on a leash. And that if I taught her to heal next to me, um, she wouldn't lunge anymore. Uh, so, oh, right. So un- unfortunate, like not the most qualified person right from the get. Exactly. So thankfully I had enough awareness at the time to understand that that wasn't the case. Like there were definitely some, there was some fear there that had nothing to do with, you know, obedience if, yeah. you know, in quotes. Um, so I decided at that point to just like read everything I could read, watch everything I could watch, um, just try and take in a lot of the content on my own. And then when that really difficult period of spring happened, um, that's when, um, and I want to be like super transparent about this because people might find themselves in the same place. Like that's when balance training started talking in my ear. Um, I started getting a lot of like content online about balance training. Um, and a lot of the discourse was like, is your dog not responding to what you're doing? You may be using the wrong tool. So it was very sly the way that it kind of got to me, mm-hmm. especially when I was feeling so incredibly hopeless and guilty that I had adopted this dog who I thought I could like rehabilitate and, you know, like, yeah, change, help her like overcome her fears. And so at that point she wasn't taking treats. You were trying correct. to implement some of that stuff, but she wasn't taking the treats. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And so at that point, avoidance, I would say was my biggest training thing was like, I'm, yeah, I'm going to take her to the woods. I'm going to go out at times where I know there aren't going to be a lot of bikes. I'm going to like avoid certain streets. Like I'm just going to avoid as much as possible um, because I can't get her attention or, um, you know, use any sort of like reinforcement other than like movement. Let's go, let's get out of here. So there was kind of the the breaking point where, like I said, I just felt so incredibly hopeless. I was like crying after every walk. I was just feeling so bad. And it, I, I think a lot of it had to do with, I couldn't watch her struggle anymore. Like it was so incredibly taxing to like watch my dog struggle and like not be able to help her. And so, um, the rescue that I had adopted her from that I was still volunteering with, um, they had a dog who got returned for like a bite Um, and no one in our rescue was qualified to like house him. So they, um, brought him to a board and train. I didn't even know what a board and train was. Um, but it ended in this like success story where his trainer ended up falling in love with him and ended up adopting him. And now he's a demo dog, that type of situation. And the rescue goes and like sees how much sees how much he's changed and how much confidence he has. And so his story was like the first story I heard or like a dog I knew of who had been like, whose behavioral problems had been quote unquote like fixed. Right. And so I'm like, oh, okay, maybe I'm the problem. Like I'm the one who's getting this wrong and I need to send her to someone who can get it right. So I started calling around. Um, one board and train told me that her issues were psychological and that she was just like forever this way. Another place was like, 
she needs to be crate trained. We can help you, but she needs to be crate trained. And she had really bad separation anxiety at the time. <laughs> so right. that wasn't a possibility. And so finally, I actually ended up calling the board and train that this rescue dog went to. And they were the first people, like the first trainers who had told me like, we can help you. Like we can get you in, we can help you. We see dogs like Juno all the time. Like you are not alone. And just them saying that like, they had confidence that they could help me. I put all of my eggs in their basket. I was like, oh my God, yes, please, please, please. So she went away for six weeks um, and they did use aversive tools. I would definitely not call them compulsion trainers. Um, they were still utilizing positive reinforcement, but yes, a prong collar for like her leash pulling and stuff. And then a shock collar or e-collar call it what it is, um, <laughs> for off leash skills. And I, another thing I want to note is that a lot of these things, like these tools, I was viewing them as like, at the time before I knew any better, like helping her quality of life. So for the shock caller, it was like, she has so much energy. I want her to be off leash. And my trainer's telling me that this is the way to safely do it. And then with the prong caller, it was like, if I can cause her not to react, we can like go to more places and her world can be opened up. So, um, yeah, she did six weeks there and I, you know, went and visited her and I, um, had multiple training sessions to learn how to like use these tools. And so after the six weeks, I like went to pick her up and, um, they were, you know, showing me everything and, and she were, you know, sent me home or about to send me home or send me home. And I said, Hey, I've never seen her around a bike. Do you mind like showing me? Cause ultimately we're going to see a lot of bikes. Okay. And, and that I, is a giant investment in six weeks of training. If they can't show you, right? Like exactly. They were about to send me home and I didn't even know, you know, I'd never seen it with my own eyes. Not that, you know, you need to expose dogs to their triggers to know, but anyway, so they bring out a bike, they start riding it around her and she doesn't react. Then the trainer says, drop the leash. I drop the leash. Juno kind of trots behind the bike, but does not react, is not chasing it. They bring out an ATV. They're like riding it around us. And I am shocked. I am like so incredibly ecstatic. There are like tears in my eyes. I'm on cloud nine. I'm like, oh my God, you know, she's not afraid anymore. I don't have to watch her, you know, have panic attacks on our neighborhood streets. And so, yeah, I'm definitely on cloud nine. I get her in the car. I thank the trainers. I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. I'm driving back to the Twin Cities. Like, thank God I did this. It was worth every penny. We get into Minneapolis. She sees her first bike and she throws herself against the window. And I was like, oh, this is not not as easy as I thought it was going to be. And that is uh, the first time I realized what behavior suppression is. Um, And so it was I, there was definitely fallout right away. Um, and so after continuing to do research, like continuing to learn, I came back to the positive reinsi- positive reinforcement side of things. Um, and ultimately after our six months with balance training, like reactive redefined was the first program we did. I like saved up for it cause I had to pay off the board and train for a while, <laughs> but yeah, reactive redefined was like the next 
thing that we did. I'm so happy we made our way. Oh my God. Okay. So for everyone listening, please, for the love of God, do not pay for the board and train. Don't do it unless it's with an actual (laughs) certified professional dog trainer who's going to use least interest minimally aversive training techniques. I did do a podcast episode on beware of the board and train. So everyone, please listen to that, right? Because it is Right. And it seems so good on the surface, right? Mm -hmm. Like, oh my God, look at her. She's cured. Like, oh my God, that's not how it works. You can just suppress behavior. Exactly. And I think the the only, like, I don't have any sort of hard feelings toward those trainers. Like, um, like I said, I don't, I really don't think they're compulsion trainers. I will say when she came back from the board and train, the stuff that stuck was the counter conditioning. Like she could now eat food around her triggers, um, her thresholds, uh, like we could be closer to bikes without her feeling the feelings that she used to feel. So there definitely was progress there. Um, but the way that the training was described to me and also the, this is in quotes, rules that they had talked about, like if you ask the dog to do something, the dog has to do it. Like those types of things definitely weren't helpful and they were hurtful. Um, but I do have to say that the stuff that stuck was the positive reinforcement side of things, like the counter conditioning, the, you know, it's not as scary as you think. So, um, we did like, she did make progress there, but, um, totally beware of the board and train, um, and definitely uh, make sure you're going to a qualified certified trainer. (laughs) Oh my God. Okay. So you, you came back to the, to the yeah. strictly like positive reinforcement side, right? Yeah. Welcome. Welcome. Thank it's you. so glad to have you here. Yeah. Um, so let's talk just a little bit more about where Juno's bike reactivity was pre-reactive redefined. Yeah. Um, so pre-reactive redefined, um, we couldn't really see a bike on the same street as us. Um, she feels really, she feels really strong feelings toward bikes coming up alongside us. If they cross in front of us, it's not as big of a deal, but like along the side is really hard for her. And so before reactive redefined, it was, it was really challenging to catch those moments. Um, she often reacted to those. Um, one of our favorite hiking spots is right along a bike trail. And so before reactive redefined, we were just like booking it onto the trail, um, which, oftentimes caused a reaction, um, because of like the adrenaline and everything. So ultimately like my, my handling skills weren't very great. Um, and we were still struggling to navigate some of those tricky, like trickier settings. Right. Okay. So I remember some of the few things we talked about initially, right. Was how can we take advantage of training opportunities when she can stay semi under threshold? Mm -hmm. And I think that that is something that's not super popular in the dog training world. Everyone's like, the dog has to be completely under threshold, which yes, in a perfect world, they do. Mm-hmm. Right. But at that point, Juno could take food and she wasn't taking like hours and hours to recover from seeing a bike. Right. So like yeah. I made sure I knew all of those details and I was like, okay, because all of these things are in place what can we do at a distance? Right. So initially we were just doing, look at that, which you're still implementing to a certain degree. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Look at that. Um, and like, I definitely remember you the first couple weeks of videos, I was just sending in instances of us interacting and you were giving me helpful tips of like how I could, 
um, prevent the reaction. So whether that was distance or especially like treat delivery, like, you know, my timing and things like that. So those were, those tips were definitely very helpful. Yeah. Right. And, um, these days, right. Mm -hmm. Obviously she is still reactive to bikes in certain circumstances because we do not fix dogs, right? We're on a journey to decrease overall reactivity, (laughs) but she's made leaps and bounds in the literal distance that she needs to be successful. Yes. And there are also circumstances where she can self-regulate and cope without your direct intervention, which was non-existent before, right? Correct. Yeah, it is incredible. I was just on a walk with her today um, and we live by some busy streets um, that have bike lanes and we were walking down one and there are bikes coming on the opposite side of the street. And a few months ago, that would have been a big trigger. Like I would have never thought that we could make it down that street. I think another thing that you encouraged me to do was to give Juno chances to make her own choices because my dog's triggers became my triggers. (laughs) And so anytime I saw a bike, it was like, get the peanut butter, like hold her close. And I just remember you telling me like, what happens if you, if you don't do that, like if you give her a chance to like figure it out. And I think that has created so much, like her tolerance for bikes has improved like incredibly because she now understands that like, if I see a bike, I can just keep moving past it because she finds momentum really reinforcing. Like, I just want to keep moving. I just want to keep sniffing. And like, I want to keep going down the path. And so I think ultimately before reactive redefine, some of the times where I would stop her to try and treat her were more aversive to her than just like, let's keep moving. Um, So yeah, now we can walk by bikes that are coming alongside us. Um, We really, I think the only times we really struggle outside are in the places that she has a really um, intense history of reactions, the places that she had her biggest ones that were really challenging for us. So if we're on a new street, she can be really successful. It's those places that she has that history that we struggle a little bit more. Um, But yeah, she's made so much progress. Right. Well, and it's like, you know, I think that For Juno, right? Like just to kind of circle back to like stopping being aversive and moving forward, actually being quite reinforcing for her. Mm -hmm. Obviously there were certain circumstances where you could not let her just make her own choices, right? Because we knew she would like fly off the rails, figuratively speaking, and it would be a lot. But because you were so good about uploading those videos, right? And for everyone listening, people are like, oh my God, I can't get videos. It's so hard. Like, no, it isn't. Like you literally just put your phone in your treat pouch and filmed (laughs) your walk. Like, right. That's all I needed to see. And something Mm -hmm. that I was noticing is that she would be like actively engaged in like sniffing and doing something in which she probably could have stayed engaged in, Mm -hmm. but you got her attention to feed her, which actually kind of pre-triggered her to the bike coming, which happens sometimes, right? It Mm -hmm. happens sometimes. So I think something that we were able to do together was realize some of those moments where like, if she's like heavily in a sniff and you have the appropriate amount of distance from the bike, do nothing. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. just let her keep doing that. (laughs) And that actually opened up 
more enjoyment for both of you, right? Because you could just mm-hmm. talk her through it. Like, yes, good girl. I know there's good stuff yeah. there. Good job. Instead of feeling like you had to do like, okay, reel her in, grab the peanut butter, shove it in her mouth, make sure I'm holding on tight <laughs> enough, keep moving at the same time, right? Like mm-hmm. you can do all of that stuff, but we created mm-hmm. a few more opportunities where you didn't have to. Yes. Agreed. 100%. Oh my God. Okay. And I think too, like the fact that these days she can recover pretty freaking quickly, right? Like yeah. even if she has, okay. So I think that we need to give you a little bit more credit that like Juno is still reacting, but it is not the intensity or duration that it once was either. Yes. I call them mini reactions now because she gives like one bark and a little lunge and then she just keeps going along her way. Um, previously it was a lot of barking, a lot of lunging, and then it took a while for the shakeoff to happen. Um, but now, yeah, the little mini reactions, which are, are, they're not going to dislocate my shoulder, which is really great. (laughs) Oh my God, which is really, really good. Well, and it's like, I think that there's, there's been a giant shift in like the motivation for the reactivity for her too. Oh, for sure. Right. So do you want to speak just a little bit more about that? Cause like it definitely started like fear, like could not handle the sight of, and kind of help the listeners understand like what you think the motivation is now. Yeah. Um, ever since I got Juno and that first meltdown at the lake, definitely I noticed like fear-based, just so scared. Um, and after doing a lot of training with her, um, I think it's curiosity now and more chase. So one thing I haven't talked about that still makes Juno Juno (laughs) is her prey drive is very intense. Um, And so nowadays I think it is like a, Oh, going fast. Like I want to chase that thing. Um, And sometimes I think maybe a sound thing less so with bikes, but more of like the skateboard loud vehicle situation, but definitely more, I got to chase going fast I gotta go faster because she'll do that with runners too runners will go by us and then she like tries to speed up um so the prey drive is deep deep in that girl deeply (laughs) ingrained in her right and it's like you know for everyone listening it's kind of like okay she's not afraid now she just wants to chase it like is that better like yes that is Mm -hmm. way better because in that headspace Juno is trainable yes right right like Juno is not like her brain isn't essentially like overloading, right? Like Mm -hmm. she has, you have the opportunity to like reach her, so to speak in those moments. Yes. 100%. And I think also for peace of mind, I think any reactive dog guardian may have, you know, the nightmares about what if the leash gets away from me, what happens then? And ultimately now that the motivation behind the reactivity has changed, I think a lot of my fears and my nightmares about what happens if the leash breaks, if she gets out of her harness, a lot of those have been put to rest because I truly do believe she'd just chase it. The person would stop and she'd be like, okay, that was fun. Like, are you going to keep going? (laughs) So. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a huge relief, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and I think that that is why balanced training seems so appealing. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. Because it like preys on some of our like greatest fears about our dog. And then it presents with like, oh, yeah, we can fix it. We can make the dog do X, Y, Z, no problem. Right. And 
which is unfortunate, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, not that all balance trainers are like horrible monsters, because to your point, right, like there were some good things out of there. But I think that the overarching marketing messaging from the balance training community is really targeting people who are so afraid of X, Y, or Z that they're willing to go the aversive route. Yes. Yeah. I think it's the help, like prey on helplessness. Like I just felt so helpless. And I think ultimately too, um, another thing was they, the, the results in the sense of like, we can do this really fast. We can do this in six weeks. And I've only had Juno for a year and a half. And I think back to the progress that we've made in that year and a half. And she is a totally different dog. And I think if someone had like sat me down and been like, this is not going to be fast, but a year and a half from now, you'll be able to walk down the street and not be, have your eyes darting around everywhere. Like that, I think maybe that would have settled me a little bit, but because I didn't have any trainers or dog professionals in my life telling me that or reassuring me in that way, that's kind of how the, um, it's like process over product. My background's in theater. So we talk a lot about like theater um, practices that are process-based versus product-based. And I think that is how I kind of see balance versus force-free is like product being the balance training process being the force-free Oh my God. Yes. That's such a brilliant like frame to put that in. Right. Yeah. Um, well, and I think too, there's the, the dynamic too, of like being a young person with a pit bull is, I feel like there's just like a higher level of societal pressure also. Right. Yeah. And (laughs) just all of the sort of, you know, I lived in an apartment. I had a landlord who definitely had a lot of breed prejudice. Um, my family and friends are scared to like walk her or, you know, don't feel like they're, they don't feel comfortable enough to be around her or people, the community, my neighbors get scared when they watch her just like flip out. And so ultimately I felt like, yeah, there were a lot of pressures being, you know, in my early twenties, wasn't even looking for a dog. And here I have this thing and also just feeling Um, I know a lot of people that you've interviewed have talked about how they realized their dog was reactive. And I went into this journey with Juno knowing that. And so I kind of signed up for it. So another thing of like the guilt of like, I, I signed her up for this life. Although I do stand by, I mean, I've worked in rescue long enough to debunk the myth of the perfect home. Um, Because I think ultimately in the country, you got tractors, you got ATVs, you got lots of that stuff in the suburbs, kids on bikes, the city, not that much different. So I do, people have asked me, do you think she belongs with you? Like, do you think you're the best home for her? And ultimately, yes, I, I stand Hell and yes, you are. Yeah. You are. Oh my God. And I okay, hope, so, yeah. Yes. I hope other people like can feel that way too, of like, you're wor- like, you're working on your dog's fears and phobias and um, that's enough, you know? Yeah. Right. And I think too, like the beautiful thing about like the journey that you've been on is that you kind of saw the other side of like, okay, this is what it's like when you do it with balance training. And I know because I have seen the videos. So for everyone listening, um, Atlee and Juno move really beautifully through the world as a team, right? Like there's so much beautiful body language between the both of you, right? Like those moments of like, you looking down and she's checking in with you and you're like, yeah, good girl. You're amazing. Right. Like Mm -hmm. it's, it's, 
I am obviously partial to bully breeds. So everyone who was in reactor breed fun, I loved watching all of your videos, but it's like, you know, seeing a, a little bully breed who's a little powerhouse. that's a little misunderstood, like you stepping up and understanding her. Oh my God. It gives me the chills. Oh, okay. So speaking of understanding her, let's talk just a little bit more about the prey drive. Okay. Because yeah. obviously that is, um, maybe not technically reactivity, but definitely something we covered together instead of reactive redefined. So um, give everyone, the listeners, a little bit more of a sense of like uh, the intensity and duration of prey drive that you witness with her. Yes. Um, So she loves anything and everything that moves. Um, She recently discovered the joys of chasing frogs. She chases crickets. Um, I don't know. I don't think it's like an OCD type of thing, but it's just like, I gotta, I gotta figure that out. She t- chases moths. And so squirrels and the things that like move very fast through the woods are definitely a, a problem for us because we do hike a lot. Um, and she's on a long line, you know, and 30 feet of like going from 10 miles an hour to hundred miles an hour <laughs> is a lot. And then also, I think another thing with her prey drive is I oftentimes will, you know, I don't want to say allow her, but I will, because I don't allow my dog to do anything, but I um, encourage her to do normal terrier things like dig and climb and um, things like that. And so she can become kind of like obsessed with, I know there is a mouse in this stump and I am not leaving this stump until I can get to this mouse. And so we worked on like using her prey drive, like as a reinforcer. And so it blew my mind the first time, you know, you said, well, while she's digging, can you ask her for a touch and then release her back? And I loved, you know, but that was one of the things where I was like, she has limits and that's one of them. So the first <laughs> time I asked for a touch and she came and she did it. And then I released her back mind blown. <laughs> Let me tell you, I would have never thought, and that sounds so small, but for the intensity of her prey drive, like I sometimes I don't even think I exist in the world like tunnel vision type of thing to her so that was really cool that you encouraged me to do that and that's something I don't think I ever would have like challenged her to do yeah and it's one of those things that like you know I felt like we had to harness it (laughs) right because like obviously I want you and Juno to go to the woods and Juno be able to do like fun dog stuff Mm -hmm. but there was I mean and not that she's not doing this now, but like, she's literally like climbing trees and it's taking you like a considerable amount of time to talk her into coming down. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which isn't the end of the world because she is on a leash and you can get her back if you need, but it was one of those that I was like, okay, but can she like respond to cues? Yeah. <laughs> right? Like we know that you can use the leash. Okay. But mm-hmm. let's like revert back to some of like these trained behaviors. And I think that like, you know, that was, that's the most powerful reinforcer in the environment for her. So let's use that to our advantage instead of trying to work against it. 100%. Oh my my God. Yeah. I think a lot of her things are like over arousal. Um, and we even talked about like her relationship to other dogs too, just becoming so aroused by things that she can very quickly become overstimulated and react really impulsively um, to her environment, to other dogs, and then to stimuli, whether that be bikes, you know, which is classic bully breed. Yes. Yeah. Right. Just like textbook, right? Like 
Did you ever read um, Meet Your Dog by Kim Brophy? Yes, I have. Did you that just die one. when you read the, the bully breed part? You're like, oh my God, this is her. Yeah. Well, I think, I, I'm not going to quote her directly, but it was basically like to the tune of like, they're the perfect like anomaly. They can be couch potatoes or like go to 1000 in like 10 seconds flat. Obviously I'm, I'm like botching this quote here, but yeah, <laughs> right. Like it's so classic bully breed. And I'm so glad that we were able to connect and I was, I was able to help you celebrate and harness mm-hmm. that. Right. Cause I yeah. think a big mistake, a lot of bully breed owners make is that like, they try and work against it. Right. They mm-hmm. try and like suppress, suppress. Like, I don't want you to behave like that. I want you to be chill. I want you to be chill, which obviously is pointless because they will never just like be <laughs> chill for that reason. Right. So yeah. we're able to harness so much of like, you know, what makes a bully breed so appealing, but mm-hmm. also harness it. So like you won't be physically injured. <laughs> yes. And I will say like, I think that was another big thing that I wasn't prepared for with um, being a guardian to Juno is there's so many um, stigmas around bully breeds, but not even negative. Like, yes, there's a, you know, prone to, you know, dog aggression and stuff, but then there's also their potatoes, their babies, they sleep all day and you put them in pajamas. And so I was like, oh, by adopting a bully breed, like I'm getting the Netflix and chill dog. And instead I got the bodybuilder, like tree climber, um, you know, type of dog. And so I think ultimately, like, I think there's truth in a lot. I mean, there is truth in stereotypes, right? That's why they exist. And so I think once I got over the, this isn't the dog that I thought I was going to get, I'm able to celebrate the things that make her, her. And I will, I will say the best thing in life is going out into the woods and just watching her be a dog and engage in the environment. And the other day she like jumped a wall. I swear that was like eight feet tall. And I'm like, how did you do that? So instead of being angry of like, Oh my God, now I have to figure out how to get you, you know, back over. um, I kind of, pivoted my my stance was like wow that was incredible I never thought she'd be able to do that so yeah it's like the reframing thing that's really helpful and in reframing my relationship to her like issues I guess is what I saw them at the beginning of our journey together I now see them as some of her strengths like my dad loves Juno and um, whenever he talks to people about her the first thing he says is you know this dog climbs trees right you know (laughs) and so her quirks are what make her the coolest dog ever. <laughs> oh my God. She is the coolest dog ever. Oh my God. Okay. So um, can you share for the listeners what, um, what you got out of the group element, the group calls of Reactive Redefined? Yes. So that actually, to be transparent, was one of the big reasons I signed up for this course. Um, just because I had listened to a few podcast episodes of people say like how great it was to have a support system. Um, when I first started my journey with Juno and throughout it, it's been so isolating just because I don't know any really reactive dog guardians. And if I do know them, they're not really actively working on changing their, their dog behavior, which is totally fine. I I respect that, but I, I didn't have any buddies to, you know, vent to. And when I would vent to people in my life, um, I got a lot of like, I think you're making this a bigger deal than it needs to be. Like you just need to shake it off and like brush it off that type of thing. So I was really looking forward to the moments of celebrating each other's successes and venting about each other's, you know, problems. And 
that has stood true throughout the, I think 11 weeks, this is our 11th week. Um, yeah. I'm so sad that's over. Um, but just getting to hear everybody's, you know, journeys and follow each other on Instagram and just feel like I have a community that I can reach out to. And when I have those moments, it's interesting because throughout our walks, like me and Juno, if something good happens or, or troublesome, I store it in the back of my brain, you know, like, oh, I, I definitely want to talk about this in the chat. And then on the other side of things, when we're on a walk where I'm nervous or on a hike where I'm like, this is so fun. She's doing this cool thing. I pull out my phone. I'm like, I got to show Rachel. And so both sides of like the group element and also the video elements, I just feel like there's kind of someone else on our walks with us, which is been really empowering. And also, um, has felt less lonely, you know, when things, when things happen, whether good or, you know, troublesome. So I have loved hearing people, you know, um, learning about different dogs. I also have like this newfound interest in dog behavior. So even though some of, um, the other participants have very different ish, like are working on very different things than me and Juno, I am very attentive when they speak. Cause I'm like, Oh, well, I never thought about things like that. Or I've never met a dog like that. Or oh, wow, I didn't know that that's something you struggled with or even how to be a better dog guardian. Like, oh, that's not, your dog doesn't enjoy that. Maybe I should stop making eye contact with other dogs that I don't know on the street, you know, just little things. So um, has been really eye-opening and also very supportive in lots of different ways. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And oh oh my God, I'm always so sad when the group calls in because I'm just like, I love you all. I want to talk to you every single week. Oh my God. Okay. So, um, if you don't mind, do you want to yeah. share a little bit about how um, you're also doing some training services and like working with more dogs now, right? So yeah, it's yeah. cool how you're able to kind of like not only be working with Juno, but you're also taking this expertise to other dogs. Yeah. So Juno actually um, inspired me. So I obviously fostered dogs through the pandemic and, you know, a lot of my fosters had different quirks and things that um, I, I wanted to work on and help them with to just make them, you know, the most adoptable or however you'd like to say it. But then when I got Juno, I joked with someone one time that I feel like it'd be cheaper to become a dog trainer than to continue hiring one. (laughs) And so, um, when I moved to DC, I was looking for different jobs. And like I said, my background is in theater and the theater industry just totally collapsed during the pandemic. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to take a break from that. Wait till it kind of builds itself back up. And I found a really cool company here in DC that, um, I started working for just as a dog walker because I didn't think I was going to stay here that long, but they actually pay for you to become a certified dog trainer. And so um, it's interesting because without Juno, I don't think I ever would have found dog training or even realized how much I love working with dogs. And so now I work for a company where I, you know, walk other people's dogs and I work with them and we do things like training walks um, where we're just, it's so fun. Like we are reinforcing the, you know, behaviors that, well, we're reinforcing someone's training plan that maybe a regular dog walker wouldn't be able to do or be knowledgeable enough to do. And so that's another thing with Reactive Redefined is I've paid really close attention to everyone else's stories because I've been able to see different dogs that I work with in everybody else's story. Um, And so I'm just really, really grateful um, for this experience, not only for Juno, but also the dogs that I have worked with and will work with. Um, and just as kind of a, 
a little green trainer who is maybe interested in and and going down that path now that I found this like second career that I got what a gift what a gift you are to those dogs and the people who are trying to keep Um, up their training right like seriously we need more of you in this world okay so Natalie if you would share um one piece of advice with the reactive dog guardian that's listening that maybe has a bully breed and they're like, Oh my God, this dog is never trainable. What would you tell them? I've thought a lot about this question. And I think ultimately something that I gained from reactive redefined is don't let your fear of getting it wrong, prevent you from trying to get it right. Um, just because with the counter conditioning, I know on the first call, even before the um, official program started, you were like, I think you should do a bike setup. And, you know, on Zoom, I'm nodding my head like, yeah, yeah, of course. And in the back of my head, I'm saying, I'm never going to do that. No, I'm never, ever going to do that because I was so scared to get it wrong. And just with little seeds, you kept reminding me, you know, hey, what about the bike setup? Like, oh, maybe you could teach her that cue in the bike setup. (laughs) And so finally, I decided, you know, why would I waste an opportunity like this to have someone who's so knowledgeable like you give me feedback? And so I did it and I felt really weird about it after I did it. I felt like I messed it up that, you know, I had caused harm to our training plan. And when I got your comments, like that was really great. Like you should be really proud of that. I was reminded that the more times I decide that I can't push myself or I can't push, you know, the more opportunities I'm taking away from us to learn from learning together. And so that's the piece of advice that I would give people. Oh my God, such good advice. Okay. (laughs) Atlee, if um, the listeners wanted to connect with you on Instagram, can you tell them your handle? Yes. So mine is atlee.jensen. But I had to start Juno's Instagram because I couldn't flood my entire feed with her, although I want to. So hers is Junie, J-U-N- ie dot b dot jensen junie b jensen kind of like junie b jones um so that's where you can find her oh my god and you can see her sweet little athletic bod and all the fun stuff she gets to do with you oh my god at least thank you so much thank you thanks for tuning in i hope you enjoyed the show if you need help with your dog's behavior, you can learn more about our training services at agoodfeelingdogtraining.com. We post training inspiration and training tips almost daily over on the Instagram at agoodfeeling underscore NCO. If you like this podcast, we would be so grateful if you could share it with a friend or family member who could benefit from all of the information. Um, it's been a total delight. We love this podcast so much. And thank you so much for listening to Disorderly Dogs.